This morning, we are reading from John 15. John 15, starting at verse 18. That may well be the first heading in your Bible. So that's the first place to look to try and find it. John 15, 18, and we're going through to 16, 4. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all of these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So far the reading. Uh, Thanks, Andrew. Uh, really good, really helpful to keep your Bible open there at John 15 and 16. Uh, if you're new, if you're uh, kind of visiting with us at the moment, uh, we are working our way through John chapter 13 through to 17, uh, looking at this night where Jesus instructs disciples uh, about himself and about what it means to follow him uh, after he returns to the Father, the time that we're in now. And uh, this is the section that we're up to today. If you want a a bit of help following along, there are a couple of outlines that are available on the welcome desk. You can go and grab one still, um, a shorter one and a longer one with a word find on the back of it um, as well. And uh, before we jump in, let's pray together, shall we? Uh, Lord God, we thank you that uh, you've given us your word, the Bible. Thank you that you are the God who has spoken and the God who speaks still today. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we might hear and understand and be shaped by your word. Lord God, we pray that you would challenge us where that needs to be the case, and you would comfort us and encourage us where we need that too. We ask, Lord, that this would result in praise and honor and glory to you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Uh, Now the other night, uh, we had one of those really warm nights, didn't we? I think it was Wednesday night. 
uh, where you wake up on Thursday morning and it feels like you have been sleeping in a sauna. Now, I don't know about you, but what I really like on one of those warm mornings, uh, my favorite breakfast for a warm day, uh, is cornflakes with cold milk. Something about that combination that uh, I quite enjoy. Crispy, crunchy cornflakes, ice cold milk. It's refreshing. It goes down a treat. But as I had my cornflakes on Thursday morning, I had a flashback. Uh, to an event that used to happen from time to time, but doesn't happen now so much now that we've, we've, we've got kids. And that was those times where you took that bite of your refreshing cornflakes and milk, and the milk was off. You ever had that? So instead of this crunch and this deliciousness, you get this tow- sour, tangy grossness in your mouth. It's quite disgusting, isn't it? We've probably all had that experience with different foods before. Uh, That apple that looks so crisp and delicious, and you bite into it, and it's rotten on the inside. Or that homemade baking, which smells so fresh and good, and you take a bite, and then you realize that you put salt in it instead of the sugar, and it just doesn't taste the way that it should. Now, I kind of feel a little bit like I'm about to do that to us all this morning. And I feel a little guilty about that. Last week, we started looking at this imagery that Jesus has about the vine and the branches. About what it means to be in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was wonderful, wasn't it? To think about what this means for us. This relationship that, that Christ has established out of his love for us. His choosing of us. This relationship whereby he dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. And he works within us to produce the fruit that he asks us to have. We saw the wonderful blessings and benefits of this relationship. We have joy. His joy within us. We have glory to the Father. We have love amongst God's people. Obedience. All flowing out of this relationship that we have with Jesus. But now these verses, they really continue that theme of vine and branches. Of what it means for us to be in living Spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Except this time, it's not quite so glamorous. And it's not quite so joy bringing. This is time, it's about what it means for us and our place in this world. In God's world. And it's confronting. Because it challenges our view of the world around us and our place in it. It challenges us to realize that this is not a world in which we will fit easily, in which we can just be accommodating. And neither is it a world from which we can escape and withdraw and do our own thing. 
To be attached to Jesus means to be hated by the world and yet at the same time bear witness to Christ and his love and all that he has done for us. Well, really, that's the two things that we're going to be unpacking this morning. Hatred from the world and yet at the same time being witnesses to it. So what's the first thing that we can then expect from the world around us? Well, because we are connected to Christ, we can expect the very same things that Jesus himself expected. Hatred, opposition, and rejection. This is the attitude, the disposition of the world, all that is outside of Christ to those who belong to him. And that's not firstly because we are annoying or horrible people or not nice to those around about us. It's because we're attached to Christ. Two reasons in particular that we want this, these verses unpack for that hatred. The first one is there in verse 19. And it's because... We do not belong and we do not conform. Verse 9, and if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. He's saying, look, if you belonged to this world, it would embrace you with open arms. It would bend over backwards to accommodate you and your life and whatever it is that you're into. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. You see, in many ways, our world loves conformity. It thrives on conformity. It thrives on everybody having the same attitude, and the same motivation. Followers of Jesus aren't like that. We are different. Because Christ chose us. And Christ loves us. And Christ saves us. We know God as a loving heavenly father. Who's poured out his mercy on us. We know God the Father as a righteous judge. And we know that this world and the things of it are on a slippery road towards destruction. We know that Jesus offers us life and life in his name. We can't conform. We don't conform. And the world will hate us for it. Secondly, we can expect to be hated because this world hated and still hates Jesus Christ, whom we are attached to. Jesus says quite clearly in verse 20 that a servant is no greater than his master. Remember that Jesus used that about two, two or three chapters earlier when it came to washing feet? 
He said, you know, I've done this, you're going to do this. He uses the same statement now. Because this is how they treated me, this will be how they treat you. Now, why does the world hate Jesus? I mean, he wasn't a bad guy. I mean, he fed 5,000 people miraculously. He enabled crippled people to walk. He enabled blind people to see. He did lots of good things. Why does the world hate Jesus? Well, have a look there at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Whoever, uh, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Why does the world hate Jesus? The world hates Jesus because he convicts the world of sin. He exposes the guilt of this world. Now, that that is not to say that before Jesus came, everybody was guiltless or sinless. Uh, The witness of the Bible is that right from the beginning of time, every single one of us, every single person born has been in rebellion against God. We have been walking our own way and doing our own thing. But Jesus in coming exposes the sinfulness of sin. He exposes the darkness of our hearts because light comes and light is rejected. A little earlier on in the gospel, Jesus says this. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. He has come showing, demonstrating, speaking of the love of God, the works of God, the way to return to God, and he's been rejected. And in that rejection, the guilt of the world has been made clear. And now Jesus says, it won't only hate me for that reason, it will hate you also because you are attached to me. In many ways, Christ through his people continues to expose the guilt of this world. Through his people who walk in his ways, who speak his words, who show his love, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, the guilt has continued to be made known and his people are hated. And what does this lead to? Well, jump down to chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills will think that he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. What does this hatred end in? 
It ends in persecution. It ends in death for some followers of Jesus. Now, if this is what Jesus says is going to result uh, about being attached to him, I guess one of the questions we need to ask is, uh, do we experience this hatred? Is this still the same for followers of Jesus today as it was 2,000 years ago? Or has something actually changed in the world since then? And if it did change, when, when did it change? Well, according to uh, Open Doors, uh, there are 245 million Christians across the world who are in the category of severely persecuted, who are losing jobs, friendships, livelihoods, and lives for following Jesus. That's one in nine Christians alive in the world today. About one in 200 Christians who are alive today can expect to lose their life for following Jesus. There, have been, there were more martyrs for the sake of the gospel in the 20th century than there were in all of the other times of the church before then. I remember speaking to an evangelist uh, who was involved in training evangelists all around the world a number of years ago. Uh, and he had recently been involved in training evangelists uh, in Indonesia. Uh, and he said that statistically, one in every ten evangelists uh, that he trained could expect to lose their life for preaching the gospel. Does the world still hate Jesus? It most certainly does. Does the world still hate the follower of Jesus? Uh, it most certainly does. As I was uh, finishing off uh, my sermon this week, I um, had a look back uh, at other times that I have preached from this passage. Um, and the last time was actually about 15 years ago, it was 2004. And I realized in reading through that sermon how different our situation is even in Australia today than it was 15 years ago. It was kind of difficult to apply then. And it's kind of easier now. I don't, I don't know if I can claim, and I don't want to claim, that we are being persecuted to the levels that Jesus talks about here or what our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. But increasingly, we are more and more disliked and headed towards hatred. We've already spoken this morning about the legislation. We are entering an environment, we're in an environment where to stand up for the gospel and Christian values is not just unpopular, but it's told to be, we're told that we're bigoted and hateful and small-minded. To be a follower of Jesus is to be increasingly marginalized 
and it seems increasingly that we are heading in that direction. Now, we've got to be careful not to be confused here. Because in many ways, the world doesn't mind religious people. It doesn't mind nice people who attend churches on Sundays, who do good things in the wider community. The world doesn't mind youth programs for wayward children. It doesn't mind nice Sunday school classes where you sing songs about a nice Jesus and make nice artwork about him. The world doesn't mind a church in the neighborhood that keeps its lawn mowed and does its services at a reasonable hour. In fact, it's still the case that a church in your neighborhood increases your property value. But the world hates Jesus. And it hates the committed follower of Jesus who walks in his ways. The non-conforming, non-compromising follower who is passionate about Christ and his mission in this world. Now that doesn't mean that we go out of our way to be annoying. Christians don't go looking for hatred by being a pain. But it does mean that we're honest about what we believe. We're honest about what Jesus calls us to do and to be. If you're here this morning and you're, uh, you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus yet, and you're not sure if you want to be a follower of Jesus, maybe my advice is don't do it. Uh, don't do it unless you're willing to be hated. Unless we can look at the life of Christ and agree that this is the life for us. If we are a follower of Jesus and we, we wear that badge proudly, then we've got to make sure we do our sums right. It's not glitz and glamour. It's not a life of popularity and worldwide acceptance. If we're not willing to walk the path of Jesus, then we're wasting our time. Jesus said that anybody who builds a tower, make sure they've got enough resources to finish the job. We want to make sure that we know what we're in for. Well, that's the first aspect of our ongoing relationship with Jesus. But the second one flows on from this. The follower who is connected to Christ, in whom Jesus lives by his spirit, in whom who lives in Christ, they can expect to be part of the ongoing mission of Jesus to this world. The mission of God to restore, the mission of Jesus to bring, draw people to himself, the mission of the Holy Spirit in whom he has given us. 
because that was what Jesus was here for, that is what we can expect as well. Now, many of us learn, don't we, from a young age, we're maybe not taught this, but it seems to be instinctive, we learn to fight back. If somebody hits us on the playground, we hit them back. If somebody gossips about us, we make up some juicier stories to spread around. If you're hated, hate back. Now maybe we read this about the hatred of the world and we hope that the next lines are going to appeal to the justice of God. Forget about it. Wait until God repays them. And let's see who's laughing at the end. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jump down to have a look at verses 26 and verse 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. What is Jesus' response to the hatred of the world, the rejection of the world? Well, he will go to the cross and he will die for the world. He will die for the sins of his people, for the sins of people who hate him and reject him. He will be strung up to die and suffer cruel death on a cross for a world that hates him. And rising triumphant from the grave, he will send his Holy Spirit into the world to convict the hearts of people who hate him so that they will turn back to him. He's done that in our lives. We too were once haters of Jesus. And he transformed us by his word and by his Holy Spirit. That's how he responds. And what about for us? The same thing. Verse 27. And you also will bear witness. We will tell the world of what this Jesus has done for us, in us, and through us. God never stopped loving a world that hated Him. And neither will we. Now next week we're going to carry on, not in two weeks' time, we've got a break next week, but in a couple of weeks' time we're going to carry on in these verses. And it's going to talk a lot more about the work of the Holy Spirit in enabling us, in, in, in working within us to bear witness to Jesus. So we're going to focus our attention on that part of it then. But what I want to ask the question now is does our view of the world, is our view of the world one that enables both of these aspects of following Jesus to be true? Does our view of our place in this world enable us to be both be hated by it and yet at the same time bear witness to it? See, on the one hand, the temptation is to be simply world-embracing or world-conforming. If the world's going to hate us, well, let's just not look so different to everybody else. Let's make our faith a matter of personal conviction and life. I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to act differently. I'll just look like everybody else does. The other extreme is to say, you know what? 
the world's going to hate us, let's just retreat. Let's just hide away and do our own thing in our own little Christian community or a Christian commune. You know, let's buy a big block of land somewhere out in the country and set up, you know, farm life and, you know, well, those sort of things end up on the news usually. Uh, But anyway, we could do that and we could just sort of practice our own Christian faith on our own. But Jesus here is not talking about either of those options. It's neither conforming nor it's retreating. It's to stand for Christ and to bear witness for him in the midst of a world that rejects us and hates us. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had one of those guys um, or girls uh, come to your house um, advertising solar deals. We've had those guys before. They knock on the door just as you're sitting down for dinner uh, and they offer you a very special solar deal if you sign up today, if you sign up in the next five minutes. I wonder um, how they recruit people for that job. I mean, you are trying to sell something to people that they genuinely probably don't want and you are annoying them at a time that they don't want to be annoyed. They have to have the greatest marketing department in the world to recruit people to, to work in that, in that job. Jesus does not have the same marketing department. I mean, he is advertising following him by being hated and proclaiming something that the world does not want to hear. So if he's not marketing, what is Jesus doing here? Why is he saying this to us? Well, I want to have a look quickly and wrap up by looking at chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus wants disciples prepared and ready and standing firm. Verse 4. I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Often when we think about going astray, uh, we think about walking away from church, uh, walking away from Christ, walking away from faith altogether. But you can go astray much more subtly than that. We could go astray by simply conforming to the world around about us. Chopping out the difficult parts of the gospel. Watering down our message or our stand on the things that we believe to be good and true and right. That would be to go astray. That would be to not stand firm. We could also go astray by failing to bear witness to Jesus Christ. By retreating and considering the message to be one of our own simply to be guarded 
and not to be proclaimed to the world around us. But Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So you don't compromise. So you don't retreat. So you don't cut out the difficult bits. So you don't water it down to make it more acceptable. So that you will not fall away. I'm sorry that if the milk was off this morning or the apple was rotten, to follow Jesus, to be in relationship with him is a wonderful, wonderful truth of joy and hope and love and purpose. But it's also to be hated by the world and yet share the message of love and peace with it. All that we have in Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Lord God, we thank you this morning that you have prepared us uh, and warned us about what it means to follow Jesus, uh, to be one of your people in the world. Lord God, none of us desires to be hated, to be rejected, to be persecuted. And Lord God, we know the temptation oh so well uh, to avoid it, to hide from it, uh, to water things down. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would keep us from falling away. Keep us from compromising. Keep us from retreating. Uh, keep us, Lord, from failing to stand firm. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to bring the gospel to our world, to our nation, to our community. And we ask, Lord God, that you would use us to do that. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, and for his glory. Amen.